This is Simple Roots Radio, episode 41, and we're breaking down emotional eating. Welcome to Simple Roots Radio with Alexa Sherm. Alexa believes that simplicity in life is the key to achieving true and lasting health. A nutritionist by trade, Alexa has rebelled against common misconceptions about nutrition and has created a realistic health style that will allow you to live a healthy, satisfied, and more simplistic life. It's raw, it's real, it's unfiltered. It's Simple Roots Radio. And now your host, Alexa Sherm. Welcome back to this podcast. I'm your host, Alexa. And as always, I just wanted to remind you that this show is dedicated to simplifying your health, allowing you to live with more purpose, more joy, and ultimately achieve the lasting health you've been looking for. While it seems complex and overwhelming, my passion is to break it down into the basics and help you live a simplistic and healthy life that you enjoy. And today I'm excited to have a guest on the show, Isabel Fox and Duke. And we're breaking down an emotional, hard, and controversial topic, and that is emotional eating, cravings, and our food mentality. But before we get into today's episode, I just want to fill you in on a big project that I recently completed called The Nurse Planner. The Nurse Planner is a 12-month printed planner with monthly challenges, goals, inspirations, tips, tricks, and hacks that are going to help you live a healthier life one step at a time in 2017. I am so passionate about this because it doesn't just talk about health, but it encompasses your entire life together from your business, your work life, your home life, your family life, and everything in between, all while still focusing on your health. So inside you'll find weekly meal planners, a place to write down go-to meal ideas, seasonal ingredients, monthly challenges, goals, budgeting, quick and simple to-do lists, white space for bullet journaling, or what, however you best schedule. Basically, it's a tool that's going to encompass your whole entire life and help you to bring it together to simplify it and to make it more manageable, ultimately helping you say yes to those things that are going to help align with your goals and your dreams and no to things that don't. It's going to help declutter your schedule and get you back in tune to how you want to live. So if you'd like to check out the Nourish Planner, get a free week, head on over to nourishplanner.com and grab yours. Again, that's nourishplanner.com, and I would love to do that journey together. And getting back to today's show, I feel like all of this passion goes together from just really helping you to simplify in your life, help you get back in tune with your own body, and really understanding and valuing who you are. So I'm more than passionate than ever about the mind and the stronghold that it has over all of our actions. Yet there seems to be some conflicting evidence in the literature on whether our behavior changes our biochemistry or if we need to change our biochemistry in order to change our behavior. In either scenario, it seems to be the vicious cycle that pulls and tugs and controls our lives in so many aspects. And today we're going to talk about just one of those, and that is food. And that's where Isabel comes in. Having lived through, worked through, and finally becoming an expert in the ideas of emotional eating, Isabel has a passion to help women stop feeling crazy around food. From point counting, scale weighing, and tunic wearing, Isabel wants to help us break free of the emotional stronghold food has on our health that make us surrender to its power, to finally develop a respect for your body like you never knew existed, and yet you craved a positive body image. It can be done, and that's what Isabel and I are going to talk about today. So we're going to get into how the diet culture we live in is shaping us, the first foundational step in overcoming food issues, how to actually eat normal, and so much more. This is going to be deep, 
thought-provoking, and yet uplifting all at the same time. So let's get right to Isabel. Welcome to the show, Isabel. I'm so excited to have you on. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah. So I've been following you for a little while, and I just love what you're doing with emotions and food and just like a relationship with our bodies and ourselves. And and so I just want to back up and just kind of start with your own story, because I think we all have a story, and it's fascinating to kind of see where other people have come from. So where did your food story start? Like when did, you know, this transformation, I don't even want to say transformation, but when did you first experience like this heartache of food? So, well, the heartache of food, I, I basically have no memories of not having. I mean, I, I was put on my, by my pediatrician when I was three years old. So I literally have no conscious memories as a child of not being aware of good food, bad food, um, you know, literally actively trying to control my weight pretty much, you know, from the time I was a baby. So I have no memory literally of ever having a healthy relationship with food. I pretty much had a diet binge kind of relationship with food from, from childhood, from very, very early childhood. Um, and so, you know, I could go on about how that's a testament to sort of the culture in which we live and, you know, all sorts of issues that are going on with our society, which, which ultimately are very, very influential and very impactful. And, and I think, um, you know, my work and sort of the recovery process around this for a lot of people, Mm -hmm. but yeah, ultimately, you know, that was my, my story was that I basically was engaging with diet culture because that is the dominant culture, um, from a very, very young, from, from basically childhood on. And it got progressively worse, you know, as, as dieting and diet binge cycling in general tends to do right. As I got older, it got more severe and more extreme, right. Mm -hmm. As I, a gained more autonomy and was making more of my own food decisions. But, you know, as my sort of desperation to, you know, get a handle on this and finally get my weight under control, you know, as that sort of desperation to change my body, um, you know, sort of grew over time. Um, and the diet cycling became more extreme on either sides, right? The restriction became more extreme and more desperate and more urgent. And in reaction, the binge eating became more violent and more desperate and urgent as well. Right. I mean, one of the things, you know, about me from following my work and for those of, you know, your audience who are unfamiliar with this conversation, um, it is my strong belief that binge eating, right. Is a direct response to dieting, right? Like I'm not talking like, Oh, I'm sad. I want a cupcake, which we can also talk about. I would call that emotional eating. I'm talking about like standing over your kitchen sink, like shoving like brownie batter in your face, like hoping your partner doesn't walk in on you. Right. And so it's very much an emotional, it's a very shame based, very reactionary kind of way of, of eating that, um, is, is not even necessarily just about like, I'm anxious. I want a cupcake. It might start that way, but like the second we have shame about it, the second we feel wrong about it, the second we like go into that panic mode of, Oh my God, I fell off the wagon. I'm a nightmare. I might as well just eat everything that isn't, you know, isn't nailed down and diet starts tomorrow. So I was kind of basically doing this diet binge cycling thing, you know, trying to get control of my food and then inevitably just losing control and not even just losing it, like violently losing it. Um, you know, most of my life until at some point I ended up in rehab for, um, binge eating disorder And that was the inpatient rehab. And that was the beginning of a whole nother sort of 10 year journey of recovery, because unfortunately this is a problem that is not very well 
you know, understood even by clinicians, right? This is a very, um, this is a, this is a problem that's sort of fully imbued with, you know, cultural stigma and cultural attitudes, many of which therapists themselves are not even really familiar with or fully understand, right? This is a sociological issue just as much as it is a psychotherapeutic one or a psychological one. And so it's really, really hard to get a quote answer, you know, and even after going into rehab, it took me years before I really kind of figured it out because I wasn't, you know, everywhere I would look, you know, I was, I was kind of getting mixed messages, you know, I was different, uh, therapists were telling me different things, different doctors telling me different things, different coaches telling me different things, you know, it's just sort of, you're kind of, it's a little bit the blind leading the blind because the diet culture in which we live in is so pervasive and it's considered normal. Right. And if you're not able to follow it, there's just something wrong with you. Right. So yeah, so that's sort of, believe it or not, the short side of the short, the short version of that story, believe it or not, that's the short version. (laughs) No, I mean, I think it's so, and I want to go to our past because I think that's like something people don't want to uncover and it could be an entire podcast and maybe it will be, but I feel like it's such an issue and whether people have uh, binge eating issues or not, we all have emotional eating issues. And I even think you said it in one of your blog posts, maybe all eating is emotional. But regardless, our past really has a stronghold on our present. And if we don't deal with our past, we can't really overcome that. And so what do you see being like the issues that you were faced with and that you just see right now, like in our culture right now? Well, I mean, again, so this, this word diet culture is one that I throw around, like everyone should understand what I mean, um, but but I apologize if that is not the case. I live in a very small bubble where we talk (laughs) about non-dieting and body positivity all day. But so when I say the word diet culture, I'll, I'll, I'll like sort of clarify. It basically means that we live in a culture where it is assumed that the thinner you are, the better you are. It is assumed that thin is good and it is assumed that fat is bad. And the, the larger you are, you know, sort of the, the less social capital you have, the less valuable you, you feel to be and potentially even appear to be to society. I mean, weight discrimination is a very real thing in our culture. Women didn't just pop out of the womb thinking, oh my God, fat is bad. They're taught this, right? We're taught this from a very young age on, right? Like my pediatrician said to me, you know, oh, your daughter is a little bit high on the baby BMI scale. Well, Mm -hmm. don't make sure she doesn't get too fat. You know, like this is not, we're not just, you know, crazy people who are like concerned about our weight for no reason. This is real. Weight discrimination Mm -hmm. is real. Weight stigma is real. So diet culture basically is the idea that we are all living in a culture and this culture is getting more and more aggressive as time has gone on, particularly when weight started to become about quote health, right? There was a period in history. It used to be way back in the day that, that fatness was just about, you know, fashion and vanity, you know? And then at some point along the way, and people were like kind of embarrassed to talk about it. Like you didn't necessarily, you know, to some extent, like I remember when I was really young, you know, before the like health conversation really like blew up out of, you know, in the way that it is today. And I remember being like, oh yeah, you don't want, you want people to think you're like naturally thin. Like you don't want to admit that you're doing anything with your food because like, that's just, you know, it's vain. It's whatever. Um, and now, you know, as, as we've sort of moved to a new period in history, you know, now pursuing weight loss is, is a, is a health venture, right? And it's this, and it's a, it's a moral crusade towards health, the holy grail of health, you know? And so, Mm -hmm the brand of 
of weight control has really changed. Um, it's sort of like now politically correct to diet when before it was like, oh, a little, a little embarrassing even. I, I would, I've certainly felt that way to be dieting. Um, but that's not the point. The point is we live in this culture, right? Where it is assumed that thinness is good and it is assumed that fatness is bad. Weight stigma is real. And as such, food is a very, very highly charged topic, right? And especially once we sort of culturally made that shift to um, weight being about health, right? I think, you know, certainly the internet exploded, but, you know, there, now we also have sort of, um, there's this sort of like politically correct like obsession with what is effectively dieting, although people don't call it that. They call it healthy lifestyle choices and whatever. But let me just tell you, if it's about trying to manipulate your size, that's the definition of dieting, even right. like according to scientists, you know? Um, and so ultimately, yeah. So that, it, I'll just pause there and say, you know, it's very, very hard. I think particularly as a woman, right? Like we can say that this is about health all day long, but ultimately, at the end of the day, this is not just about health. And right. this is really about you know, managing social stigma. This is about social status. This is about wanting to be loved. This is about wanting to feel attractive. This is about you know, something that, that really only recently even became about health in the zeitgeist. Right. So right. in your own personal story, do you feel like if that doctor had never mentioned when you were on the baby BMI charts, which should not even exist, um, right, did, right. right, if that would have never happened, do you feel like that would have changed the course of your life or do you feel like this was kind of your path? I don't know. Yeah. Because that's all know. you knew. I mean, here's the thing. Right. I mean, here's the thing is that my doctor wasn't the only person who told me better watch out, better mm -hmm. Right. Keep an eye out on your weight. My doctor was just the first. Mm -hmm. Right. I was very young when that happened. I imagine it would have been only a matter of time before I got that message from an infinite number of other places. I mean, I come from a dieter family. Right. I come from, you know, I, I went to, you know, like all girls private high school. Like, like we, we were, it was all like, it was like a race to like the thin, it was like a race to thinness. You know, that was like how we judged each other very, in many ways, very openly, you know? Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't think, I mean, it's, it's hard to know. I mean, I remember, you know, the very first diet I went on very specifically was this like low carb diet that my diet, that my pediatrician put me on at this incredibly young age. And that's sort of like, you know, I could make the argument, maybe that was what changed my relationship with carbs for the rest of my life, you know, mm -hmm. whatever, you know, made me have this sort of villain up until obviously I got better. But, you know, I will say that I don't think that there is one of the issues with living in a quote unquote diet culture is that it's everywhere. Right. It's hard to, right. Like people love to like blame their moms and I could blame my mom, right? Like I could be like, Oh, my mom was a dieter. You know, she, you know, struggled with body image stuff like all women, right? right. <laughs> like, like most, and I'll say most, I'll say most, I'll say the majority of women in our society struggle with to some degree. It really is just a matter of to what degree. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, but we certainly all feel the pressure. We certainly are all being judged as women by, by this thing. Right. Um, and I will say, yeah. So, I mean, if my doctor didn't exist, like there's no, like you, you can't, I, I couldn't have been shield shielded by this, right? Like people like to blame their mothers, but like you are getting this from everywhere. 
right? Like there right. is no, you know, there's this, there's this fallacy that this is all about the way our parents raised us. And one of my favorite academics is this woman named Stephanie Kuntz. And she writes about family dynamics from a sociological perspective. I'm a sociologist by background. So that's sort of my, my preference. That's sort of my lens on the world. But she writes about this myth that like, our entire upbringing is just like dictated by how our parents raised us. And that's not true because Mm -hmm. we also go to school. We also have friends. We also read stuff on the internet. Like we're affected by every single tiny little thing that comes into our brains. Our parents obviously play a huge role, but it's everywhere, right? So when you live in a diet culture, you can't escape it. You know, it doesn't matter if your mother, you know, it doesn't really matter what's going, I mean, it matters, right? Like you're the, the way you were raised by your parents or the way your doctor treats you, it matters, but it's one piece of the pie of like a million other things that are affecting you at any given time. And the reality of the situation is you could have a perfectly healthful, incredibly body positive mother and still be, or body positive doctor and still be heavily influenced by this issue. Right. Right. So what was your turning? Do you remember a turning point in your journey where you were like, aha, or was it really just uh, a phase of that 10 years of really recovery where it just took everything coming together to make it that point where you had a better image of yourself and body positivity? Um, it was definitely a process of understanding. I mean, no one really said it was, it was years into my recovery process before anyone like actually said to me kind of the punchline, which is like, this is, this is, or it was years before I was really able to understand the punchline, which is like, this is a social sociocultural issue. It is not your fault. Mm -hmm. Right. And like, you are constantly consuming all of this information that is just designed to make you feel like crap about yourself basically. And it seems really obvious because, you know, I remember being in high school and, you know, I was raised in a really feministic household and, you know, I kind of knew this all intellectually, but for whatever reason, there was a moment where it was explained to me in a different way. It was explained to me through the lens of, do you realize that if no one had ever told you that you needed to be thin in order to be loved, you would never have gone on a diet and therefore would never have been like introduced to this entire problem. Like, do you know what I mean? Like somehow in my head, I was like, oh yeah, yeah. Like it's, it really sucks. Like cultural pressure, blah, blah. But oh, well, that's the world we live in. It didn't really. And like, meanwhile, over here on the side, I'm like, just miserable, like diet and cycling, like hating myself, like not being able to get through a day without like lying in the fetal position, crying, you know, towards the end, it really was that bad. Like not being able to get through a day without like being in the fetal position, crying about what I ate that day. You know, it didn't, it was like sort of like the way it had previously been explained to me was like, oh yeah, the sociocultural thing is like, oh yeah, that's an interesting fact over here. But like, that's not really about like my problem. Like I need to be fixed. There's something wrong with me. I'm out of control around food. I'm a monster. Don't you understand? Right? And it's like, somehow I didn't, it still didn't, there was some sort of like disconnect between my intellectual understanding and my really getting that literally, if I was not trying to control my weight, this entire problem would cease to exist. This entire right. problem would right. evaporate, you know? And so it, it, you know, again, like it wasn't, you know, I say like, oh, this is all sociocultural or whatever. People are, you know, it's very easy to like brush off. But the, the reality of the situation is like you really think about what that means, you know? And when you really sort of get the depths of what that means, it starts to sort of change 
it really starts to change you. And I, I started hanging out with, you know, body positive activists and, you know, people who are really doing much, they're doing incredibly deep work, right? Like they're doing work far beyond, um, you know, oh, PS, like when you, you know, like, I don't know, I'm trying to think of like the superficial things that I used to think about the body image movement right. when I was young, but I definitely, didn't take it that seriously. Like I just thought I was a binge eater. I was emotional eater. I was, you know, I needed to be fixed. And once I was fixed, I'd be thin and I wouldn't have to worry right. about my body image. You know, like I, I was going at it backwards, right? Like I used to think, Oh, I just need to get my food under control. I just need to ha not have this binge eating disorder problem. And then I will be a healthy, normal weight in quotes. And I won't have to worry about body image. Like I promise I'll love my body once I'm not binging anymore. And it, it I don't remember exactly, there were several moments and I remember a lot of really important teachers in my life along the way, but at some point it became very obvious. No, no, you got to do the body image work first, mm -hmm. right? If you're not doing the body image work, good luck trying to fix the binging. The diet binge cycling is a natural, inevitable outcome to not doing the body image work first, right? Mm -hmm. You don't get to do it the other way around. Right. Right. You know, so that was, that was my experience. Yeah. So what is like the body image work that you would do on this binge eating cycle? Like, what is that foundation of yeah. like being here in this relationship where it's kind of like the inevitable, like people just live in this vicious cycle and can't get themselves out of. So what's that first like foundational step yeah. that you have to take? Um, well, so there are a couple, one definitely has to do with our relationship with control, right? So we are running around <laughs> under this delusion yeah. <laughs> like, we are running around under this delusion that if we, that A, you know, we should be able to control our weight and B, if we can't control our weight, we will effectively be able to control all of our relationships and everything that's going on around us. And unicorns and rainbows will pop out of the sky. Right. right. So it's like two <laughs> fundamental myths about control that we're fed that ultimately both of these things need to be in place mm -hmm. for this quote unquote, these quote unquote food issues to exist, right? In order for food issues and quote to exist, you need to a believe that you are in control of your weight and that you can fundamentally just shape your body at your will. And, you know, biological instinct doesn't matter. Right. You know, like you basically would be like, I am fully capable of changing my body through willpower, which is myth number one that you have to believe on some level in yeah. order to like how this, and that's one of the biggest issues. What's my greatest complaint basically with the diet industry and with diet culture in general is that we live in a world where it is assumed that dieting works yes. despite zero evidence, zero right. evidence right. to like, prove that that is true or suggest that that is true. Like dieting doesn't work. It's been proven right. like a billion times, like over and over and over and over and over again for the past right. like 50 years, we have learned that dieting does not work yet we live in this culture where people are like, well, maybe it's just this diet that doesn't work. Maybe right. it's just this diet that doesn't, there's no diet that's ever been proven to work. Right. right. If there no was, we would be a nation of people who didn't have these issues, but it's not right. that simple. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So anyway, so it's like, we're again, this is part of the whole like mixed messages we're constantly getting all the time. Right. right. And it's like, it's like a brief headline, brief headline on the news. Oh, diets don't work, but then just like try maybe just focus on lifestyle changes. Guess what? Lifestyle changes haven't doesn't necessarily been proved to make people thinner either. Do you know what I mean? Right, like, right. It's just we don't actually, you know, we don't actually have this like proven thing that if you just did this, your body would change and you'd be in control and everything would be great. Right. right. Like that does not exist. So that's number one myth that we have to overcome is really like, you know, 
understanding, you know, and really coming to grips with the fact that we are not necessarily in control of our bodies. We're not even necessarily in control of how we eat. Eating is a biological instinct, right? This idea that I can control everything that I put in my mouth through willpower is, is just erroneous, right? Mm -hmm. Like if that were the case, we would literally all be eating like perfect, you know, right. 650 calories per meal of like exactly the right macro proport, you know, and all the things. Right. And it's just, no, like that's not, um, actually in alignment with reality yet. We continue to believe it. And we continue to think that when it doesn't work out that way, it's our fault. And we just screwed up despite the fact that actually maybe we have the, it's reasonable to possibly consider the idea that there are factors outside of our control, things like appetite, things like emotions. Like there are all sorts of things that affect our biological instincts towards food outside of what we think we should eat according to Dr. Oz. Right. (laughs) So there's that, right? So that's like sort of number one, like giant myth to wrap your brain around. And I think that that is honestly the hardest part for people is like really getting in, is really sort of challenging the idea that they are in control of their size and that they're even necessarily in control of their food in all instances, right? I mean, it's, there's a lot of things that affect what you end up putting in your mouth and how your body looks outside of, again, you know, you just being able to exert willpower to make your food look like what Dr. Oz tells you to. So that's number one. Number two is this other sort of the other half of the control conversation. I think this really gets to the root of the issue of why people become so obsessed with dieting, even when they're clearly failing at it for years and years, but they don't want to give it up. Not only because everyone's telling them that it works, they also don't want to give it up because of how valuable like thin bodies are, you know, in society. Right. And so this idea of, you know, I can, unicorns and rainbows will pop out of the sky if I can just make myself thin enough, right, is is basically like the highest drug possible for Mm -hmm. women, I think. I mean, really, again, like historically, and men, I think also, but I mean, we really have to understand the historical context for women. People always, you know, we talk, there's, you know, disordered eating, dysfunctional eating, and diet and cycling, and fat phobia, and weight stigma are all sort of on the rise for men. But the historical context of this is definitely gendered, right? And for women who have historically sort of always been valued, Um, to some extent based on how they look, right? And sort of our social currency has historically, unfortunately, very much always been tied to our bodies, our sexual value, et cetera, right? Right. Um, Those, because of that, right, the idea that, you know, if I can just control my body, you know, everyone will love me, I'll get the husband, I'll get the car, you know, I'll get all the things, Mm-hmm. is it's in, it is incredibly seductive right and so you know if i said to you you know if you can just control what you put in your mouth you'll get everything you ever wanted in life which is effectively what the diet industry is telling us and right. what many people believe right. to some extent right if you just control what you put in your mouth all of your wildest dreams will come true right, right. like everyone will love you be universally accepted. You'll have like the hottest, sexiest, richest husband that there ever was or whatever. Right. Right. Your relationship, your existing relationship will be perfect if you're already married, right? Whatever. Right. Or everyone will, um, you know, everyone will respect you. You'll never have to be embarrassed again. You'll be able to walk around with like full pride and, you know, and who you are, you know, if you're just able to achieve this specific size or if you're just able to control your food in this particular way, how could you not become obsessed? Right. Right. It's right. supposed to you know, melt like your covers away. You, yeah. 
Right. How could you not become obsessed with trying to become thin? How could you not hold that to be like, I mean, think about Oprah, right? Like I think about Oprah all the time because I think she's such an interesting case study. It's like, this is a woman who has achieved everything and more, right? Like this is, she's like the holy grail of female accomplishment in human form. And she still goes to bed at night thinking the one thing that she's failing at is having the right body. And she's very open about it. Right, because we've seen her you know, travel through just, diet after diet after diet and weight yeah, swings. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, and it is just, it is just again, it's well, it's misinformation, right? Like it's clear that you know, there's a so much misinformation out there, but also our 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 belief in the misinformation. Like we're so quick to believe the misinformation because we want it to be true. We want to believe that diets work because if diets worked, I could control the outcome of my life and everything would be fine. Right. Right. As a woman, if diets worked, I could control the outcome of my life. I could get everything I've ever wanted. Everyone would love me. And like, I would have no problems. Like Mm -hmm. I would have no pain. I could escape pain if diets worked, which is why diet mentality is so hard to escape, right? We don't want to just like look at the facts of like, oh yeah, you're right. 95% of diets don't work. Like this is a drug that doctors are prescribing that literally fails 95% of the time, has a long list of side effects. This does not constitute ethical medicine by any definition. Yet we are so quick at the mention, if there's something to hang on to that might suggest that maybe this time it'll work or this one will work, if there's just something to suggest that, we are so quick to cling to it. We are so quick to hang on and just be like, ah, maybe, 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 because we, enti- we believe that our entire life's happiness hangs in the balance. And if it's not, if it's true that diets don't work, right? right? We have to face life on life's terms. We actually have to like deal with our real life, real person, like, you know, malaise and general people problems. Right. But how do you get people to do that? Like, how do you get people to no. escape the fantasy of a life or what could be their life <laughs> and like snap back into reality? I mean, Yeah. So a lot of it is just, again, like cutting through the BS that's constantly being served to you every which way. Right. Mm -hmm. And really like feeling convicted, you know, just feeling convicted in your facts. And I think that it is easier to feel just like it's hard to let go of dieting because of the promise that, you know, we attach to it. It is easier to be convicted in your facts when you understand that not only does dieting not work, it's ruining your life. Like it is actually destroying your relationship with food, right? It is the source of your misery, not the beginning to your dream, right? And so the more you can sort of get clear on what the facts really are that, you know, it's not just about diets not working. It's about diets destroying you, right? They're destroying your body physically, mentally, emotionally, right? Like when I was dieting, I was basically living in like a constant hell except for like the few days where I was, you know, days like one through five of the diet when I thought I was doing so well, you know, and I was like, I'm on top of the world. Right. I've got it this time. Like I'm on my way, you know, but those moments, those periods of quote success became shorter and shorter and shorter as time went on. Right. Like this is what ends up happening with diet and cycling. And this is just like, you know, some science for those of you who are interested, statistically speaking, not only do diets not work, we as humans get worse at doing them the more we try, the mm-hmm. more we attempt, right? 
our willpower around food actually weakens over time rather than gets better, right? People don't get better at dieting the more they practice it. They get worse at dieting the more they practice it. The more you practice dieting, the less days you can go before like, you know, you fall off the wagon and like the binge eating reins, like, you know, right. Fall apart. Right. Right. So yeah. So I will say it's much easier to be convicted in this idea of like, nope, not going to engage in that diet anymore. Not only to, not only because it doesn't work for me, but because I'm so clear that that is like an oppressed, it's a tool of oppression, mm-hmm. right? It is really, it is the source of my misery. I really understand it is dangerous, right? It's like, it's like a drug, right? Really tempting, seductive, right. but ultimately I know that there's a 95% chance that this is going to hurt me rather than help me, right? It's like, you know, I think about like, you know, sort of people who, you know, are having trouble getting off of dieting, right? And it's sort of like overcoming like a gambling addiction, you know? It's like you go and you know that there's a 95% chance that the house is going to win. You're like, maybe just this one time, right. maybe just this one time, you know? You intellectually know it, but somehow it's like the fantasy that you attach to winning is so great and so overwhelming that you just, you know, kind of, you're just like, fine, I'm just going to do it this one more time, this one more time, this one more time, this one more time. I really think that ultimately in order to, you know, really sort of quote, overcome these, and this is just one step in the whole process, is that you sort of have to realize like, how has losing this gambling bet, right? Is, are these subsequent losses that you're experiencing over and over and over again, you know, the subsequent fail, diet failures, right? Or gambling failures, if you want to call it that, um, you know, what have they taken away from you? You know, you, you only have so many years on this life. How many years of them do you want to spend on this diet merry-go-round? Right. Um, and so, yeah. And so, you know, I think that one of the first steps to saying no to dieting is not only just recognizing that it doesn't work, but not only that it doesn't work, that it's actively harmful and that it's actively hurting you. So that's number one. Um, I mean, there's so many different things. You ask a really important, but very broad question that I could talk about. (laughs) Right. Is it, do you feel Um, like, does it, I mean, I feel like I look at people and it's just like a suppression of emotions. Like they're just constantly clinging to like these fantasies and these hopeful things that really don't come into fruition for many people at all, especially Mm long-term. But is it, like, Mm -hmm. if we dig up those emotions and, like, let ourselves feel them, like, is it – what am I asking? I guess, is it a choice? Like, is it a choice of our mind to be like, okay, I have these emotions. I'm going to deal with them instead of I'm just going to keep suppressing them, hoping that at some point I'm going to reach that happy place and they'll all go away? Yeah, good question. Um. So one of the reasons that I talk, and and this actually like segues perfectly. So, so basically one of the reasons why I say it's so important to recognize, you know, that dieting is harmful and that dieting is, you know, you know, basically not only doesn't work, but hurts you, right. Is you want to make dieting an unattractive option as far as coping mechanisms go versus an infinite number of other coping mechanisms that exist in the world. I mean, the reality of the situation is that there's like a million different coping mechanisms that a person could choose to numb out their feelings. Not that numbing out their feelings is like the way to go or the answer. I'm just saying theoretically, right? There's two sort of things happening here. One is feeling your feelings. And two is assuming that one cannot feel their feelings all the time, every moment of every day. And that coping mechanisms are going to happen eventually because of just, you know, our biological desire to avoid pain and seek pleasure, right? right? The question is, can we make dieting a lesser appealing coping mechanism? 
by really understanding, because dieting is only appealing as a coping mechanism if A, you believe it works, and B, you believe you can control the universe through dieting, right? Like, right. if those two things, don't, if those two beliefs are not in place, dieting is not an interesting coping mechanism. Dieting is not a fundamentally, it's not an interesting coping mechanism if you are clear and convicted on that reality. Mm. So that's why that having that mental shift is so important, because dieting as a coping mechanism fundamentally doesn't work if you are a hundred percent convicted. And I would say that anyone who disagrees with me on this is not a hundred percent convicted. Right. That diets don't work. That restriction in some level, in some way is not rational, right? Like the, Ooh, I'm just going to have one granola bar. Ooh, I'm just, you know, whatever, right. This like feeling of this, this attempt at controlling your food, you have to be like 100% convicted that it's just, it's, it's, does not fundamentally make sense right? Right. <laughs> to try to control your weight in order for the coping mechanism to not have value anymore, right? If that belief system is in place, if you truly believe in your heart, yeah, no, this just clearly does not function, right? Like I can work towards healthful eating just for health's sake or whatever, but trying to control my body size clearly fundamentally fails. Once you get there, it's like dieting as a coping mechanism loses its power. It's no longer an appealing coping mechanism because it's like, it's like, you know, like taking a drug, but not feeling the high anymore. You're not get you're not actually getting what you're, what the high that you're seeking, if you fundamentally believe that dieting doesn't work. So that's that. Um, what I will say is when you get to the point where you fundamentally believe that dieting doesn't work, right. You know, then you are going to have a lot of emotions to face. And the question is, how do you deal with them? Um, you may turn to a variety of other coping mechanisms. You know, I actually do encourage people to really explore like diversifying their coping mechanisms because I don't necessarily think it's going to need ways to deal with your feelings. You won't be able to like sit and feel your feelings every moment of every day necessarily. Like it's probably not a realistic goal, especially at first when you're just like being completely overwhelmed with a whole new slew of feelings that you've never felt before. It's really, really common when people give up dieting to be very emotional. I went through it. I've been through different versions of it. I'm a diff- different person now than I was when at the height of my diet binge cycling sort of, you know, binge eating disordered career, you know, I never cried then other than about food. Now it's like, I actually feel things about right. <laughs> life, right. you know? So first off, it's like diversifying your coping mechanism. I think especially at first, it's really important to practice diversifying your coping mechanism being like, how can I actually learn to self-soothe? out, you know, given the fact that dieting is no longer the solution to my problems. Like how am I going to face life on life's terms, you know, is Mm -hmm. a big question. And it's sort of a combination between being able to sit with your feelings, being able to actually, you know, what Pema Chodron would say, like sit in the groundlessness, like face your edge, be there with whatever you're experiencing, but be understanding that coping mechanisms are human. They're, they're pretty natural to seek out. And the question is, you know, can you start to explore, you know, what self-soothing means to you now that you're probably your biggest coping mechanism has just, you know, the rug has just been pulled out from under you because diets actually don't even work. So if I really, truly believed that there would be no high to come from dieting. Right, right, right. Totally makes sense. Totally makes sense. It's just a different thought pattern. You know, it's kind of like stepping outside of what we're told we should believe into a new one that actually Right. Works. Yeah. Uh, so. <laughs> right. so, so, that, 
where it's actually factual. I won't even say right. it works, but it's actually factual. Right. You know, it's just like, it's factual that dieting doesn't work. So, you know, now I have to deal with, and then, you know, I think what some of the feeling it's complex because it's not just, Oh, the feelings in my life that come up. I also have to deal with like having a different relationship with my body. Like when you come, when you get clear, that dieting doesn't work for you anymore. There's just so much work to be done even after that, you know, like, right. there's so much work to be done just like around, like having, like, what does it mean to have a relationship with food when not dieting? Like that was, you know, like learning intuitive eating, learning my hunger signals, my fullness signals, my biology, you know, like those kinds of things were, I had never done that before. You know, I'd literally been dieting since I was three. Like right. since I was a baby, food was never about hunger. It was always about weight control, you know? And so there's just, you know, a lot, there's a lot that goes, there's a lot to deal with once you come to the point where you're like, oh, I get it. Dieting isn't helping me. It's hurting me. And I'm, and I, and I realize that this is useless and I, I'm going to cut my losses and give it up. Then it just opens up this whole new door of questions of like, what does eating even look like outside of the context of dieting? Like, what does it even mean? To, what does it mean to eat healthfully outside of the context of dieting? That's a big one. Like most people think that uh, most people can't separate eating healthfully from dieting because right. most people associate yes. health and weight so very much. Whereas, right. you know, you can make whatever health, I mean, making healthful choices is great for you. The question is, are you doing it to control your size or not? Or are you doing it to like actually feel good and take care of yourself? You know? Right. Um, this is a much more complex topic that again, I could write an entire book on just the, what it means to separate health and weight and where people get tripped up on this. But you know, that's a whole conversation that needs to be had. The body image conversation is a huge one, right? Like how, if I, you know, accept that, like, you know, I have a specific body size that, you know, my body just like simply wants to be when I'm just generally taking care of it and not trying to screw around with my biology, you know, I have to manage you know, a, an inherently weight stigmatizing fat phobic world in the body that I have. That's a huge conversation that needs to be had. I mean, there's just so much, even just at the level of food to learn once you get to that point of giving up diets. And then on top of it, you know, oh, and PS, you just, you don't realize this, but when you gave up dieting, you actually said, I'm going to give up my favorite coping mechanism. Now also go find new coping mechanisms for dealing with your feelings or right. potentially feel your feelings for the first time. You know, so it's a lot. It's a lot. There's a lot of work. People usually need support. Right. It. And there's so many layers to it, which I love this because I feel like when people make that decision, like, okay, I'm not going to go on the next diet. I'm not going to do this anymore. Then they automatically think it just happens. But they don't realize right. it's this whole long process. And without doing the process, right. you can really never get yourself right. fully out of it and into that new life. You know, I think people yeah. want to go there but they don't know how. And I think that's why it's so important to have, you know, help through that and a community through that. But also just understanding that this isn't like an overnight fix. And I feel like we've been trained to believe yeah. that things happen overnight. Like it's going to yeah. happen, you know? Yeah. And it's just really a yeah. process. So I love that so much. So is there really yes. any, is, is there really anything as normal eating or the perfect way to eat? Um, so I encourage people, I use normal eating in quotes as like sort of like a tongue in cheek kind of term because most people who are diet and cycling, like most of my marketing on my website and stuff is geared towards people who are currently struggling so that people understand, like, I get it. I understand where you're coming from. Like, I feel you. Like, I have been there, right? So a lot of the language I use on my website is like really designed to 
you know, help people who are currently in it get that I understand where they are. Right. So like when I was struggling, I use the term normal eating, you know, I was like, why can't I just eat like a normal person? Right. right? right. Like that's kind of why I use that term. Cause that's what I identified with at the time. Right. When I was struggling, when I didn't have a solution, that's what I wanted. I wanted, I just wanted to eat like a normal person. Right. But ultimately, sort of as you read my emails and as you sort of like, you know, you know, go through my programs, if you've gone through them or whatever, right, you start to realize one of the sort of biggest takeaways from my program is that like, there's no such thing as normal eating. Normal eating, right, really just means when I when we use that word, what we really mean is normal thinking, mm. right? It's mm-hmm. like, do you, what is your relationship with food? Are you running around like terrified that if you eat like one extra Triscuit, like your husband won't love you. And that's obvious. I'm exaggerating here, but like, that's sort of the fundamental fear that people have when it comes to food. It's like food is scary. If I eat too much of it, all hell will break loose. Right. You know, et cetera, et cetera. You know, is that how I think about food? Is that my relationship with food? Or do I have just like a, just, you know, relationship with food that's based on like, Oh yeah, that's how I not die. Right, And that's what I do because it's pleasurable and tastes good and it makes my hunger go away. (laughs) You know, like the onion, the onion, I saw one of my clients recently posted in one of our like community groups, um, that the onion recently posted this like hilarious article that was like food proven 98% of the time to prevent hunger, you know, like, (laughs) um, and you know, we totally forget, you know, like ultimately, you know, when we think about just quote unquote normal eaters and what they're doing, what they're doing is they're not actively doing anything. They just have a healthy thought process around food, a healthy relationship with food in their heads. And as a result, they just sort of generally eat according to their biological signals most of the time, but also like sometimes eat just for pleasure and whatever. They don't really think about it. It's not a big deal. Right. 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 But ultimately they're not actively doing anything, right? This idea, and this is, again, this is a diet culture, diet industry idea that like, oh, I'm just on the wrong food plan, right? Like, oh, if I just switch from, you know, focusing on a meal plan to focusing on intuitive eating, that will fix my problem. No, intuitive eating is a natural, ultimately, right? I mean, it's great to know the basics because it's just like helpful framework, but ultimately it is a natural outcome of having a healthy relationship in your brain with food, right? Like Mm -hmm. people do it, quote, normal eaters are just running around pretty much for the most part, eating intuitively naturally without thinking about it. They don't have language for it. They've never heard the term intuitive eating in their lives. They're just eating, right? Right. But the reason when they just eat, when they just eat, it looks quote normal. And when dieters try to quote, just eat, it's like, Oh my God, all hell is breaking loose. Right. I mean, I don't know what that means. Don't tell me to just eat. Right. The reason, the difference between these two people is that one of them just doesn't have an emotionally charged relationship with food where they believe what they eat dictates their self-esteem. Right. Oh man, this gets me all fired up because it's like people want recommendations, you know, like I'm a nutritionist by trade and all day people want how many calories? Well, it depended on person. No, I want to know how many calories. And I'm like, you are so stuck in the diet mindset that you can even understand right right now that your body changes every single day and that no one on the face of this earth can tell you how many calories you should eat every single day. Like it's, it's an impossible feat to overcome. And it's so yes. hard to transfer someone's mind out of that to even realize that I'm not just doing this because I'm lazy and don't want to give you recommendations or trying to pave a new way. I'm doing this because there's no sane person who can do that for you. 
And yeah, right. but it's such a a crazy wild mindset. And uh, I agree, food yeah. is life giving <laughs> and nothing more. Right. <laughs> and food right, can be right, right, super right. fun and super enjoyable. But yet people have to step right. outside of that to realize that. And I think I like how you said, like, if you can't understand that, then you're not at that place yet. No matter how much you tell yourself that I'm, I'm not <laughs> dieting anymore. But if you can't fathom the fact that I'm not going to give you recommendations or someone out there is not going to give you recommendations right. that you're just going to eat for life, you're not there yet. Exactly. And I love how you just made that absolutely clear. So, and right. taking I mean, that. Ultimately, if yeah. you are asking somebody to tell you how many calories to eat, you fundamentally believe the dieting works. Like, right. do you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. ultimately, like, it, right? And so, like, in order to, like, actually go to a nutritionist and be like, just tell me what to eat, if that's your question to your nutritionist or your healthcare provider or whatever, that is just what that really means is that you just fundamentally, you just believe right. in that you believe the dieting works and I'm telling you it doesn't, right? Like right. I'm telling you, you can try to eat a certain way until you're blue in the face, but like the day is going to come when you fall off that wagon. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Whatever the wagon is. Right. You know, whatever the wagon is, even if it's the intuitive eating wagon, right? Which again is sort of like a weird thing. I talk about that. It's like when people try to quote unquote eat intuitively, without, because they want to, you know, usually because they want to control their binge eating or whatever, right? When people try to eat intuitively, but aren't making the mental shifts, right? But aren't changing the way they think, they end up just going on what I jokingly refer to as the hunger and fullness diet, where it's like, Mm. they're just trying to make their food. If I can just eat only when I'm hungry, when I just stop only when I'm full and I have to be at a number five of fullness and a number two of hunger, like whatever, right? That's it. You're dieting. You're functionally dieting, right? You're trying to control your body through attempting specific kinds of food behaviors, right? And that's not actually the intention of intuitive eating. The intention of intuiting is for you to have a relationship with your body, for you to speak and have language with your body, for you to take your body's needs and physicality into consideration when you are making decisions around food, not so that your body's hunger signals can, you know, rule over you with an iron fist, but because, you know, your body is, is like your little animal that's attached to your brain and it's probably a good idea to take care of it, you know, so that you can like literally physically feel good and not die. Right. There's that self-awareness. And yeah, we're led to believe that if we just beat our bodies into submission, it's going to work. But really, the opposite that's proven fact is that your body's really just going to start shutting down on you and start storing everything it can because there's a lack of trust. But yeah. So give us a few tips, just like quick tips that um, can help us develop a better relationship with food, like to love life more. Like what are three, let's just say three quick foundational tips. You can repeat what you've already kind of gone through. So I would say like in a nutshell is sort of like, I mean, the, the, the most basic one, the one that people usually start with, right, is developing an intuitive relationship with food rather than, you know, trying to eat what Dr. Oz has told you to eat or trying to eat what is on some sort of like external plan mm-hmm. or, you know, trying, trying to stick to a plan, period. Like I would say if you're planning your food into the future, right, if you were trying to stick to any plan, even if it is the I can only eat when I'm hungry and stop when I'm full plan, right? Like ultimately, I think that there's a really, really good chance that your plans are not going to end up going your way, right? And this also is really, you know, heavily related to sort of this this giant theme of control that is so, so critically important. It's really like the root of this whole issue. Um, 
But ultimately, right, like you are not in full control of the future. You are not in full control of all of the various different things that end up happening to you in your life that will end up impacting what you eat and what you choose and what you're exposed to. And, you know, you really have to be able to stay in the present moment and just develop, cultivate an intuitive present moment. Intuition and present moment are ultimately the same thing, right? Your intuition, your intuition, your relationship with God, if, you, if that's how you, what you call it, right? Your relationship with God, if that's how, if that's the language you want to use, your intuition, right? That, that sense of knowing inside, right? That only exists in the present moment. You really can only know what feels right for you as an individual in the present moment, right? So I say, you know, developing an intuitive relationship with food really means, you know, can I not plan, but can I stay connected to myself one moment at a time in a row and ask myself, okay, what do I need right now? What does my, what do I need holistically, right? My emotions, my mental health, but also my physical body, right? And most people are not looking at themselves holistically. Certainly if you're dieting, you're not looking yourself, looking at yourself holistically, right. right? Really understanding like, okay, at any given moment, I have a variety of needs. I have emotional needs. I have mental health needs. I have physical needs. I have hunger needs. I have all these things, you know, given where I am at any given particular moment, can I stay in a moment and just say, what do I need right now? Maybe the answer is, you know, I need a salad. Maybe the answer is I want a cupcake. Maybe the answer is I want a glass of water with lemon. Maybe the answer is I want nothing. I want to go take a warm bath and call my best friend. Right. Right. But it's like, what do I need? Right. Stay, being able to stay in the moment, develop an intuitive relationship with yourself where you're staying in the moment and being connected to like what your needs are holistically at any given moment. That's sort of, that's sort of for me what intuitive eating is all about. Um, so there's that. Um, which I think is really, again, not easy for people because your instincts, you have to be aware when you're attempting this, that your instincts are going to be to try to control, especially if there's a part of you that still think restriction makes sense, right? If you're still at the point, which most people are, I mean, it takes people a really, really long time, I think, to really surrender and be like, yeah, okay, I get it. Like, there's literally no point in trying to control my weight or my body, you know, like this is going to backfire. Probably 95% chance it's going to backfire, you know? Right. Um, Ultimately, right, the hardest part of developing an intuitive relationship with yourself is resisting the the seductive urge of dieting, the seductive urge to try to control, the seductive urge to plan, right? When you start actively trying to have an intuitive present moment-based relationship with yourself, you're going to start to notice how hard it is not to diet, right? You're going to start to notice where diet mentality like creeps in and convinces you to try and, you know, oh, I ate this for lunch. Okay. So at dinner, I'm only going to eat this much or whatever. Like you're going to start to notice where those diet mentality thoughts creep in. And I think ultimately a lot of this process is just being able to notice diet mentality thoughts for what they are be able to challenge them, be like, wait, is this really what I want to do? Is this really helpful to me? Is this helping me cultivate, a, you know, a more intuitive, like self-loving, compassionate relationship with myself? Or am I just like going down like the diet binge cycle rabbit hole, like slowly, but like I'm, I'm clearly my toe is in the water, mm-hmm. you know? Right. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, totally. You yeah, with me yeah. so far? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Okay, cool. So, yeah, so it's like one developing it. Can I, can I have an intuitive present moment relationship with myself around food where I'm making present moment holistically, you know, sort of, um, holistic choices around food. Um, and then can I notice when the, this urge to try to control this urge to try to plan this urge to, you know, try to, 
um, make the future go my way, this urge to play God basically with food in my body, um, when that comes up and why, and can I really start to have a dialogue with myself about what kinds of voices are coming up? What objections do I have to intuitive eating? You know, maybe I think, oh no, 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 restriction, restriction really is the way to go. Diets really do work, right? Like, you know, what objections are coming up in my head? Um, cause objections are going to come up. I mean, I, I honestly think that a lot of this process is about, you know, coming up against triggers for dieting. And being able to look at an individual trigger and be like, okay, this is a challenge. Like, what's going on here? Like, is this, you know, why is this coming up? You know, right. I'm feeling like all of a sudden I'm feeling like we're or this sort of, I notice that there's this desire to restrict or try to plan or try to control. I notice that it's coming up. You know, why is that? Why do I think that this makes sense? Does it make sense? Maybe it's be, I'm being triggered into this because I feel so out of control in other areas of my life. I have a date coming up and I really want to be thin for my date. So I'm going to try not to eat dinner, right? Like what is going on that this is coming up? And there could be a million reasons for it. You know, maybe it's just, oh, your best friend is on a diet and you know, she's losing weight. Ah! clearly like, you know, screwing up and doing everything wrong. Right. And so, you know, there's just, it's, I, I think that's really sort of the issue here is like, can you have an intuitive, can you attempt to have a present moment intuitive relationship with yourself and notice when your desire to escape that comes up? Right. And yeah. why? Right. Right. Being aware, <laughs> which. Yeah. 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 I mean, that was sort of like, I guess, like one and two together. But I would say, you know, body image is a huge, huge component to this because, you know, I think that, yeah, I think it's so easy to just feel, you know, I feel like when we feel shame and guilt around food, this is like the one thing I usually talk about in like almost all my interviews. And I didn't talk about it today is this concept of emotional deprivation that I came up with a few years ago, which is sort of like become like a pillar, pillar in my in my sort of quote method or whatever, if you want to call it that. Right. Um, but it's this idea that like when we feel guilt and shame around food and when we feel guilt and shame about our bodies and therefore food or, you know, whatever, you know, we're sort of inherently putting ourselves in a last supper state. We're, we're inherently sort of putting ourselves in the better get it in and now uh, I might as well eat all the brownies tonight while I can diet starts tomorrow kind of mindset um, because ultimately, you know, if I feel shame and guilt about something that I'm eating, the inherent implication is I shouldn't do it tomorrow, even if I'm not having that conscious thought. Right. That's sort of a side yeah. note. Yeah. No, yeah. I like that. Yeah. I think that's, that stuff's fascinating. So in your own personal life, what is the most important thing you do every day for your own health? Ooh, um, Stress management is the biggest one for me, mm, quite frankly. Yeah. Um, Can we all yeah, do that? I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's like one of the other things. It's like I love how stressed out people get about making healthy food choices. And I'm like, oh, my God, girl, like stress is your probably your number. If you're, I mean, I think for so many of my clients, like stress is actually their biggest quote unquote health problem. Um, and they, right. they'd probably be better served and feel better physically if they just like chilled out a little bit, um, you know, then, um, then like, you know, stressing out about what food choices to make. Um, but yeah, so, but that's sort of a side note. I mean, so yeah, I would say for me personally, you know, my really, I'm, I'm very lucky to have, you know, a relationship with food now that doesn't, isn't part of that stress. Right. And, and, um, 
you know, my relationship with food is pretty natural, biological. I don't really think about it all that much. I do check in with my body, right? Like I do, I have a relationship with my physical body now that's pretty natural. That's pretty intuitive. Right. So like, you know, I can pretty, you know, there are days when, you know, I'm a single person working, like living in a studio apartment in San Francisco. And there are days when like, I just don't have vegetables in my fridge because I haven't gone to the grocery store in five days and everything's gone bad or whatever. And there are days when I'm not, you know, eating to, to heal my physical body the way that, you know, I ideally would like because that's just not the priority, right? Like I've got work to do. I've got a million things and you know, life happens, right? Like I'm, you can't eat perfectly all the time, obviously that's sort of part of the whole deal. And so, but like the thing is, is what I notice is that my body's really good at telling me when, you know, okay, like you need to go to the grocery store right now and get some fruit. Like you, like, it's just right. when it, when it becomes necessary, like my body pipes up pretty loudly and I can hear it and I know it. Um, so I'm pretty good. I think listening to my body in general, not just about food, but also about things like sleep, even about things like alcohol, like my relationship with alcohol, like, or caffeine or, you know, pretty much everything. Listening to my body, listening to my body is probably my number one health tip. Mm -hmm. Um, it's like the, it's the number one thing. It has transformed my relationship with what health is, right? Like Mm -hmm. I now understand that health is a really starts with like right now in this present moment, like how does my body feel? What does my body need? Can I listen to her? Mm-hmm. And that's like really revolutionary in a diet culture because in a diet culture, we're pretty much taught unilaterally to ignore how our body physically feels. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so that's my big health thing. Um, and then, and yeah, stress management. So, I mean, I'm just going to repeat that stress management is such a, such a huge one. Um, right. Yeah. And those are probably, those are my probably, those are yeah. the two things that I consistently yeah. do constantly on a regular basis for quote unquote health is I try to be in connection with my emotions. I try to manage my emotions, which I have, you know, my own sort of practices and, you know, I'm on my own emotional, spiritual journey. Um, that is, you know, a present force in life that I'm always, you know, that I'm, that I'm always committed to, you know, like that. It's like, it's like people talk about, you know, I've got my family life, I've got my work life. And then I've got like my personal, spiritual, emotional life. That it's just like, you know, it's like another pillar for me. Um, so that's always happening. And yeah. And I'm trying to think if there's any, oh yeah. And I, you know, again, I move my body on a regular basis, right? Like doing yoga, walking, whatever. But again, I, I, you know, I don't even necessarily feel the need to say that because I do that intuitively as well. Right. right. Like I listen to my body as far as like what she needs around movement at any given time. Like I put exercise and food kind of in the same category. It's just like things I do intuitively, things I listen to my body to tell me what it needs. Right. Do yeah. you need to go for a run today? Do you need to sleep today? You know, mm-hmm. food and exercise go in the same category as, you know, they're both intuitive. They're both intuitive for me. Right. At this point. And I, I mean, I feel like just being self-aware and being intuitive with your body is like a huge stress reliever right. and a huge way to manage stress because like so, like I said earlier, I feel like you see people beating their bodies into submission by exercising every morning, even if their body is like, has all the red flags, why they shouldn't. And just like pushing through that because right. we've been told that's going to work. Yeah. And really it's just creating more harm and more hate towards your own right. self and, right. and things that are actually healthy for us. So I love that. Okay. Last question. Yes. What is the best piece of advice you could leave us with? Um... You are really asking (laughs) tough ones. Okay. So, um, I would say again, I won't even try to give you the best piece of advice because I'd probably have to think about that for like a month. Right. (laughs) But what I will say is 
what I will say is, um, you know, all of these, all of these topics that we've talked about today, intuition, present moment, um, you know, surrender, you know, non-control, et cetera, all of these things are really ultimately like, they're all the same thing. It's all like different windows to see the same sun. Like they all are connected. They all go together. Um, and so I guess my, uh, the way I could frame it or the way I guess I would say it is like to have, you know, and you know, a present moment connected relationship, compassionate relationship with yourself. But ultimately I'm just going to warn you in advance that when I say that, that what, what that means to you right now might be very different. The more you explore all of the topics mm-hmm. that we brought up mm-hmm. today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good. Well, I can't thank you enough for being on the show. I really, love the work that you're doing and I encourage you to continue and just, yeah, pouring your heart into this. You're very passionate about this and the world needs more people like you for sure. So tell us where we can find more about you and the work that you're doing. Thank you. Um, so generally speaking, most people, they first find me through, I have a a video series on the web that's called stop fading food at stopfadingfood.com. And so if you want to see like my three sort of like, like it's like a free introductory video series to, you know, my core ideas, definitely check that out. Um, stopfadingfood.com. You can just sign up and you'll get like a bunch of videos sent to your email inbox. Um, additionally at my blog, you know, isabelfoxandduke.com is where my blog is. And my blog is also, you know, it's sort of, it's, it's not a traditional blog because my most recent post isn't what's posted on the cover. The first like 20 posts are all pretty curated actually to sort of take you through a process, almost like a book, almost like you're reading a book. Like, um, and so, you know, if you're interested in also, you know, just getting like a really good, like solid intro to my book and excuse me, to my work and learning more about, you know, who I am and, and, you know, what I teach, uh, isabelfoxandduke.com is also a great resource. There's also, yeah, that's, that's my primary thing. I'm not on social media really hardly ever. Um, my main thing is blogging and emailing. So if somebody wants to, you know, really do this work, just get on my email list one way or another, you know, sign up for the video training series, sign up for the coaching emails on the blog, Mm -hmm. you know, whichever you prefer. But, you know, once a week, I'm going to send you some stuff that's going to change the way you think about food. Right. And I just encourage you to remember that you can't do this stuff alone. It is too hard and it's a process and you need that community of people who are like-minded who can really help spur you on in this. So thank you so much for being that Mm -hmm. person and thanks for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you so much. I just love Isabel's heart and passion for helping us to overcome those food hurdles. I think about my own life and the battle I used to face nearly every day with food and body issues. While I'd love to admit that it has completely vanished, I really believe that it's not something that just ends, but something that we have to choose to end every day. It's a choice, what controls our mind, runs our soul, and gives me passion. And I can tell you from experience that the thrill of seeking a smaller size in the name of health is more like a death trap. And I don't say that lightly. It's a very thing that can rip the soul from you, that can steal all joy and make you live in a pit of despair, forever capturing any success you may have. My friend, weight loss is not worth that. It's never been, nor ever will be, a true definition of health. In fact, I've said it before and I'll say it again. You cannot lose weight to get healthy. It does not work that way. If you do have weight to lose and not just weight you think you should lose, you must achieve health first and everything else will fall into place. The mentality of all or nothing, counting and restricting have worked for no one. 
And I hope today that you believe that, that you truly 100% believe that, that you end the lies that the diet industry tells you and you just stop and look for one minute at your own body, your health, and what it is telling you. You are perfectly unique in your own way. Never stop believing, trusting, and honoring your own body. And that is my plea to you today. It's one small thing at a time and changes that don't require the traditional diet ways. If you're feeling lost or want a quick pick-me-up, I do have a small course called The Craving Cure. And I don't mean to promote this just to be salesy, but to really tell you that I feel like it's a very valuable course for a very small price point for a very small investment. It's something that can help you with the mentality aspect of it to help you understand your body and respect your body and get to know your body again, but also bringing in the health principles of how you can actually put into place a series of steps on how your body actually functions, what it's actually craving, and utilize that to end the massive cravings for unhealthy things, for things that in the end slow our bodies down and make us sluggish. So if you'd like to learn more about that, again, it's a it's a quick, convenient, inexpensive course called The Craving Cure. I'll link it up in the show notes at simplerootswellness.com slash 041. And you can click on that to learn more. But again, it's something that I've had hundreds of people travel through and have really great success. Pretty basic principles put into place without deprivation, restriction, or starvation, and it's golden. You can promise you're going to learn so much about your own body, your own uniqueness, and also health principles that you can actually take action on. So again, to find The Craving Cure, head on over to simplerootswellness.com slash 041 to find out more information. Also, don't forget to grab a copy of the Nourish Planner at nourishplanner.com. You can also grab a free week of the planner so you can try it out, utilize it, see how it's going to flow in your own life before purchasing that. And that's just at nourishplanner.com. Enter your name and email address and you'll get sent that weekly. And as always, if you love what you heard and would like to help me out, ratings and reviews mean the world to me. It only takes one minute out of your day, but this is the source and the life of the show. This helps other people who wouldn't hear about Simple Roots to visibly find and see it. So to leave an honest rating and review, head on over to simplerootswellness.com slash review. Again, that's honest feedback. You can leave a star rating and then write a little description about how the show helped you, how the show shaped you, maybe things that you'd like to see on the show. Whatever it is, those comments mean the world to me and literally take a minute out of yours. So again, head on over to simplerootswellness.com slash review if you'd like to help me out and leave your opinion. And finally, next week on the show, I have a very important health topic that no one is talking about, and I'm really excited for it. So you're going to want to stay tuned for that. But in the meantime, I want you to believe in yourself. Would you believe that there is something greater than the diet industry and that you, yes, you, you are beautiful. <laughs>